All right, now it's time for the live wire with Fiddy, aka Joshua, aka JD Marlowe. Let's connect. Live wire connect. All right, guys, something that we started talking about during the season last season and it's carried over into the offseason has been the possibility that Carolina moves Iki Aquanu inside and they find a, another answer at left tackle. Well, we played Joe Person's audio yesterday on the Brian Burns contract situation. He also talked about if that is a possibility for the Panthers this offseason. I don't think they're going to move Icky Aquano to guard. I, I don't. I just feel like it, that they're going to sort of add reinforcements in terms of depth, which doesn't sound all that exciting. Uh, and maybe they do go get a starting caliber guard and figuring that, you know, if, if worst case scenario, uh, Brady Christensen's healthy and competes for that spot or even, you know, slides out in his protection for Aquano at tackle where we know Christensen has, you know, a lot of experience. So I do certainly think they're going to, you know, sign a couple of linemen. I just, I, I'm not sure it's going to be left tack. Wes, you're the offensive lineman guru. Should Iki Aquanu uh, stand in the way of them drafting a left tackle if they find someone in the process that they absolutely fall in love with? Well, the hard part about it is where you pick it. I mean, if the Panthers were inside of the top 10 and had a chance to get the kid from Penn State, then maybe you have to do some thinking. Or Joe Alt from Notre Dame. Uh, then maybe you'd have to think about this thing just a little bit. Not sure at 33, now you're fully capable. You never know what you can find. You could end up drafting a Pro Bowl, drafting a Pro Bowl uh, left tackle at that slot. But uh, I think definitely, as I've been saying, offensive line needs to be heavily invested in. I don't think that they're going to move Icky down inside. I think they're probably going to give him one last shot. So I think the focus needs to be guys that can go in the interior. Now, if you have a guy that exhibits versatility, so here would be the perfect scenario. You draft a guy 33 that you feel like uh, could be a really, really good tackle in this league. But we all know as offensive linemen, most of them are pretty versatile. So maybe you start them out at guard. They do that to rookies sometimes. And so you can necessarily draft them and put them at guard. And then if Icky doesn't work out yet again, perhaps you train the guy up through the offseason, through OTAs at two positions if he can handle that. And then you can flip Icky down inside either during the season or before the start of next season. So I think that would be the optimum situation for the Panthers. But I think they're definitely going to have their share of new faces on that offensive line. So it's been interesting to figure out what kind of order fans would want or teams would want with the draft and free agency. I've heard it both ways, and I can't figure out exactly which one I would want first as an NFL team. I think it's the draft, because if you have the NFL draft before NFL free agency, you're supposed to draft the right players, not necessarily fix some of your mistakes. Because the NFL draft, you can't always do that, where in the free agency, in, in that pool, you know, okay, we need help at offensive line. This guy is tried and true. We know exactly what we're going to have to pay for him. So let's go ahead and fix it at this price point. We're in the NFL draft. It's, man, we need offensive line help, but this wide receiver is so much better. 
compared to all the other receivers. Whereas I could wait a little while and then just take, you know, and take a gamble here with some offensive tackles or offensive guards that a little bit later on. Right. Like I've always thought the draft would help teams out more if it was first compared to free agency, but that's not how it works. And so we'll see what the Carolina Panthers do in NFL free agency before they get to the NFL draft, because you are drafting at 33 overall. I think that's probably a little too far back despite this draft being very deep at offensive tackle for you to take a guy there and then move Icky inside in favor of that player that you drafted 33 overall. So I don't foresee Icky Iquanu moving to that left guard position, but it's going to be tough. The offensive line is really hard for me to try to figure out because you need a bunch of upgrades. The interior offensive line is terrible. I mean, even the outside wasn't great at pass protecting, certainly with Icky. So there's a lot of things you got to try to figure out, but it's also conceivable to think, well, if these guys are healthy, can we replicate anything close to what we got two years ago if we just have a different brand of offense? So that's the hard part that Carolina has to try to figure out. Well, and I'll say lastly, too, I think for the Panthers this offseason, it has to be like a good quarterback. You got to take what the defense gives you. The Panthers aren't going to be able to fix every single thing this offseason. They need to be able to take their wins where they can. If they're able to come up on some top free agents at positions of need, then that's great. But I think the Panthers need to just try to just take it slow, get guys that they can get this go round, and just build this thing slow. Yesterday, we we, get, we were finally able to get into the J.J. Redick, Pat Bev, Doc Rivers, Austin Rivers beef. We didn't get all the way through it. And one of the, the parts that, that J.J. was pointing out was how he could break down film of a guy and get like 54,000 views on his podcast. But he makes a comment about a coach and it goes viral when he's got 10 million views on his podcast. And he took the time on ESPN's first take to talk about the responsibility he feels as a former player to educate fans. Now I want to address Stephen A's point. Since when is it players' jobs to educate people on basketball? When did that become a thing? When did that become a thing? Isn't that our job? Isn't that our job? I'll answer. I'll I do answer that as my I'm, job. That's my job I'm, to educate I'm, people I'm on letting, basketball. I'm letting you speak, no, and then I'm, I'll I'm, answer. I, I'm, it's our job, Stephen A., to educate people on basketball. It's okay. our job. And here's the reality. This is the okay. ecosystem we live in. I can do a okay. video on my podcast. I can do a video on my podcast where I break down the last nine games the Pelicans have used Zion Williamson as the primary ball handler and what type of actions that has led to. I looked it up this morning. 54,000 views on YouTube. But I want to call out a coach yesterday. Oh, that gets tens of millions of engagements. That's the ecosystem we live in. So do fans actually want to be educated or not? Mm -hmm. Do they? Walker, I know you had some thoughts on this, and we just didn't get a chance to get to it yesterday. You and I both agree that this podcast, I think, is very good, and I – Hate J.J. Redick. I'm not a, a fan of his in any regard. But and, mo- and my most hated athlete growing up. Yeah, J. J. but I can look at it and say his what his work is fantastic. He does a great job breaking down the game. Where do you fall on the responsibility of current or former players to educate the fans of their respective sport? I'm going to try to bring this take because I have a lot of thoughts on this. Uh-oh. I think it's fascinating. So I'm going to try to make it as short as possible. Where does the responsibility fall? I agree with J.J. Redick that it doesn't necessarily fall on the players that we watch to break down the game that we're watching. That's exactly what we're employed to do to some extent. We're employed to entertain. 
But if you want to learn about the game, then there are avenues for you to go seek that out. The fact of the matter is, JJ is right. That's not what the masses want. What the masses want is reality TV. Thus keeping with the theme of us talking about Love is Blind so much. That's what leads to so many people talking about the off-court product is better than the on-court product, which is frustrating as a basketball fan myself, but people in general love the reality of this. So when J.J. Reddick, who played for Doc Rivers, says that Doc Rivers doesn't hold any accountability when he makes these these excuses for why these teams are you know losing, that's going to do a lot of numbers. It's why First Take is so popular, because it's a debate show where one Stephen A. Smith is amazing at what he does. You have to understand what he is, but he's amazing at it, and he dictates what happens on that show, and so that's why it's so successful. But with J.J. Reddick, his podcast is real popular. So is the Zach Lowe podcast. I reference it all the time. You go to those places in order to seek out information and learn about basketball, and those podcasts do very well, not just within basketball pods, but in all of the sports podcasts. They're ranked like top 15. It's a big deal. But first take is going to be more when you're starting to watch them on television. So as far as the players, they're going out there and doing what they possibly can to win championships and win games and make sure that they're winning for their respected franchises. But when it comes to breaking down the game and being entertaining about the game, that's where the analyst, that's where the podcast host, that's where whatever you're talking about broadcasting the game, whoever that is, yeah, that job is more on the responsibility of those guys rather than the guys actually playing on the court or on the field. Yeah, I think that, you know, anytime you do a job like this or like what J.J. Reddick does, definitely part of your job is to uh, entertain and also to educate as well. You want to uh, educate the fans because there are a lot of casuals that listen that may not understand things that you say. With that out of the way, let's not get it twisted, folks. Like you said, you can tell people X's and O's all day. You can break down stuff until you're blue in the face. But we all want the nonsense, myself included. And so the sports clips that I'm going to gravitate to sometimes when I log on to YouTube or different platforms, if I see that somebody got into an argument or I see that somebody's beefing, I'm going to go check that content out first and foremost before I go see the hardcore uh, nuts and bolts of somebody breaking down a play. That's just the world that we live in. That's why on the news they report pop culture things. That's why that stuff dominates Twitter and all that stuff as well because we like the bull. Well, and and content is a menu. You get to choose what you like. Yeah. If you want to learn more it's about the game, then you can go and you can seek that out. You can order that. You can go to JJ Reddick's podcast. You can go to Zach Lowe. And like I mentioned, a lot of people do. You can go to the Dunker Spot. Nikaias Duncan, Steve Jones. They do an excellent job, and they're featured on some other podcasts that are like them. But when you do 20 million views, or I don't even think it was that much, but when you do millions of views, when you call out a coach, you have to think about it this way as well. We're not used to J.J. doing that as much, right? So if Stephen A. Smith calls out Doc Rivers, that's another Tuesday. Yeah, That's what First Take is all about. When you see something different from a guy that is used to educating us about Zion as the point guard and what actions come from that, and then you see him actually be about the smoke, yeah, a lot of people are going to tune in. You're going to have that middle of the Venn diagram feature both people that want to learn about the game and also the reality TV junkies. That Those two groups are going to merge together. And that's what makes it a beautiful thing sometimes. 
But JJ is right. If you are just talking about a what kind of content can I make in order to get the most numbers for dummies and then you read that book, what that book will tell you is that you need to be entertaining above all else. And that's what that's what First Take is. That's what Stephen A. Smith is. They do a great job at it. And that's why they're number one. Menu or content is a menu. You can order what you want. That's a bar, Walker. We need to print it out, put it on the wall, the quote wall over here. Thank you. Because it's a hell of a lot better than spaghetti, spaghetti, spaghetti. That's tough to compete with. I thought that was like Ralph Waldo Emerson myself. The last piece of sound we'll play for you guys. We're we're all fans of college sports. We all have a love for college football and college basketball. But we can all agree that with the transfer portal and the NIL, that the college sports landscape it's not as healthy as we wanted or that it needs to be. Well, Jay Billis joined the Dan Patrick show and said signing players to contracts would be a way to calm down all the activity we see in the portal. The solution is simple, and the NCAA and the member institutions just don't want to do it. The, the, the solution is sign the players to contracts. They're employees, and you can sign them to a contract and put a buyout in it if you want, just like with coaches. I mean, the Boston College coach left to go to the NFL. First of all, he had NFL ties before that. He was in the NFL before he went to Boston College. But but then you saw somebody leave from the NFL to go to Boston College. So what does that say? Um, it, it th- This, to me, is just, you know, kind of, and I love all these coaches, but it's just more coach complaining. Um, they're making a ton of money. Things have changed. Adjust to it. And it's not that big of a deal. But if the NCAA wants to fix this, they can fix it tomorrow. All they have to do is take off all restrictions for schools paying their athletes, and they would sign them to contracts just like they do coaches and administrators and all that. It's really not that difficult. Wes, you're a former college athlete. Do you think the solution is that simple? And if you could go back 15 years ago and Wake Forest would have presented you a contract, what would have been the buyout? (laughs) Well, I do agree with Billis a lot. I do think that contracts would help a lot, especially if you did uh, two-year deals where a kid had to go to school for at least two years. I think that that would help a lot and cut down on the thousands of kids that get in the portal each and every year. So I like that idea as well. Then you could set uh, the money that's going to be paid and things of that nature. And again, you know, when he's talking about the coaches, the Sabins and those guys, I think probably you no know, one of their top pet peeves was a player that they just gave money to to come in as a freshman and they come in and they're not as advertised and then they want to come in the office and like, well, I'm not playing enough. I'm not getting the ball enough. I'm going to go somewhere else unless you offer me more money. I think that's the thing that's driving a lot of them mad. And I think if you did two, three-year contracts or something like that, then I think that that would would help a lot because it has gotten to the point where these kids are no longer, you know, student athletes. They are employees. Now, the first contract would have been offered by Florida. And I think with the SEC money that they had, you know, I'm not sure that I would have been transferring out of there after one year if they'd have broke me off uh, with something real nice. So, uh, yeah, there's that. But the buyout, I'm not sure uh, what the buyout would have been. You got to give me a little time to uh, think on that. Let's just go with 50000 uh, to start it. You I know, guess. Give me 50 bands. So, Deion said, you know, 50 bands won't even get you a walk-on right now. Wouldn't That's, even get a vacation for NBA players. Yeah. Not even close to one. I do love that comment just as much as you do. It's the greatest thing I've ever heard. D'Angelo Russell nonchalantly telling you that, yeah, that $500,000, I'll I'll be able to pay for like two vacations with that. (laughs) It's amazing. Just we we live in a very different world from NBA (laughs) players. No doubt about that. My problem with the contracts is just a question more so than a problem I have. Are they technically employees, though? You might answer that and say, well, of course they are. They're making money now, right? 
Yeah, but not with contributing to the revenue where they get a share of that. They're making money based off of their own business. Yeah. Who sure. they are. So if you're talking about NIL, name, image, and likeness all revolves around them. Yes, the platform helps them, no doubt. But when we talk about signing contracts because they're employees, okay, well then... What else am I privy to as far as this business that is Alabama football? But you do have some schools like the Oklahomas and some others where every kid on the team is getting a flat rate for what, you know, I think at Oklahoma, I think it was 50000 to each player, regardless if they're a star or not. So, so then if you are a monster star and you already have NIL for sure, but that's my own thing. That ain't got nothing to do with us. Yeah. So now... <laughs> I guess we got to negotiate this contract just like professionals and for professionals, right? Yeah. So let's go ahead and negotiate, and this is how much I want. How much are you willing to pay me? And, whoo, buddy, now you just got NFL Junior all over again, right? Yeah, man, these agents would be getting flooded with kids. They'd have to hire more agents for all of the high school kids out here. It's crazy. It's uh, crazy to think about.